Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paranormal Concept Show, exclusive to the PAUK Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul Brook, and as always, we are joined in the studio by the stupendous co-hosts, Kerry Greenaway and Richard Clements. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. How have you been? Not bad. Not seen you for at least a week. Wow. (laughs) A few days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah really well thank you yeah good 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 yeah we're doing all right this soon good how's your week been busy oh yeah because you're in retail apparently yeah you know what <laughs> i know this is a little small known fact i work in retail yeah not <laughs> many people know that no i know and it's been really busy <laughs> oh you poor dear <laughs> it's not so yeah. much like just the customers it's like jobs that you have to do as well yeah we are in the middle of a sale. Yeah. It's that time of year. You know what I mean? January sales and all that. But yeah, no, it's fun, you know, keep, keeping me out of trouble. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. We're, with me, yes, I'm just sort of trying to warm the flat up now. The winter seems to have finally arrived. We, we were very lucky through November and December. It was quite mild, but now I think it is starting to take a bit of a turn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's biting. It's biting. biting. That's it. We're coming into our winter now, aren't we? I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. UK winter seems to hit like we tend to have snow in February. Yeah, more than more mm. than most, don't we? Yeah, more than December. I, I was gonna say, yeah, snow is very elusive in the UK. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, just like our topic tonight. Ooh, elusive. I love it. <laughs> that, that's my my um vocabulary done there. <laughs> <laughs> did you spend all week looking that word up? I did, yeah, yeah. I learned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got talking during the week. As you guys out there listening know as well, we have regular chats, you know, off air on Skype and talk all things weird and wonderful, supernatural, folklore, history, you know, the same sort of thing as we do on the show, really, except we do it amongst ourselves. And we were talking about treasure hunts because sure. we spoke to um, Nicola White who does mudlarking. 
Yeah, which you can call treasure hunting, hunting I suppose. Kind of, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, and this kind of led on because Richard does love a bit of... Um... Larking about in the mud. Oh, well, not so much the mud. I've, I've got a metal detector. I That's haven't taken worst. that out uh, recently, but, you know, I, I did used to enjoy going out of my metal detector. That's right, you did. Mm. And you want to try a bit of what was the other thing you want to have a go at? Oh, magnet fishing. Magnet fishing, which, you know, loosely, we could look at treasure hunts. But my definition of a treasure hunt would be where you had, like, a pirate map and X marks the spot kind of thing. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, a bit, a bit like when Indiana Jones was looking for the temp, uh, for the Holy Grail. Yeah, right, clues. Yeah, that yeah. is treasure hunting, isn't it? That's um, proper treasure hunting, in my opinion. Absolutely, and when I was a kid, that's why I wanted to be an archaeologist, just like Indiana Jones. <laughs> I don't think you were the only one. No, I don't think I was either. To be fair, I think he uh, spawned a, a breed of wannabe archaeologists yeah very much so <laughs> not a bad thing to be if you can find the relevant clues to find you to some fantastic treasure right oh absolutely yeah. so this isn't paranormal but this is like mystery yes it is mm-hmm. and you know i think everyone likes a good, a good treasure hunt it sort of sparks it and as and as you said just now it's all sparks the imagination doesn't it i think everyone you know regardless of who they are you know have sort of heard stories of lost treasure and stuff and uh do they exist don't they exist i mean you know it really is sort of quite quite a colorful sort of um area to look at it is and actually i mean of all the things that i mean we've we cover so many different areas of of this world that we're in this is one of those areas that still i still kind of delve into now and again not very good at it i would like to say (laughs) um because my interest first got piqued by and i suppose you could call it a treasure hunt although you didn't know what the treasure was at the end of it it was kakeda 3301 oh right yeah which is basically solving clues to get to an end goal and it's like the thrill of getting to the next step isn't it yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I never, never figured that one out myself. No, I didn't either. I wasn't nowhere near clever oh. enough to to do it. I'm not very good with codes and ciphers and things like that. To be fair, and a lot of these treasure hunts deal with puzzles and codes and ciphers. And it's got, as we've advanced, it when you start looking at some of them, they're incredibly involved, aren't they? Well, yeah, they are. And um, as I said, I've never cracked it yet. No, thank God, I think, because the people that did all went missing. You've got, oh, okay. you've got more chance of stumbling across something by chance, I think, than doing that katada, c- whatever you called it. <laughs> I mean, katada. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's it. However, it led me down quite a few rabbit holes. And, I, um, and actually, when I was looking into that, it really, um, when I was looking, there was amazing crossovers, actually, between some of the clues and some of the work you could class under the paranormal, which is really weird, um, which led me down lots of different rabbit holes and even okay. tied into Hellier. But that's a blog in a book that we've got out, which is the book of Parasearch and the Paranormal Concept Extra. So if you want to have a read about that particular rabbit hole, you're going to have to go and buy that book, I'm afraid, guys. And where so, can I get it from? They can get it from Amazon 
or yeah. then go to our website which is paranormalconcept.com where you'll find the links well done oh god i'm getting good at this you are aren't you oh my god <laughs> but there was a particular treasure hunt well we've all got one i think between us <laughs> we came to the conclusion that between us all we've all got one or two of these treasure hunt type stories that um caught our interest you we say now paul yours is oak island isn't it oh yeah i love a bit of oak island loves that and snake yeah. island and all the other islands snake island. yeah yeah and richard what would you say yours was oh coker island which is in the pacific off the coast of uh chile anything to do with chocolate uh, anyway richard <laughs> yeah, and, uh, oh, uh, looking for Yamamoto. that magical chocolate bean. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. Yamamoto's gold, which is a World War Two alleged treasure that's lurking somewhere in the Philippines. So there is quite a few sort of unsold and treasures out there. There are, and there are a few that have been found. Yeah, yeah, there are, and there's a lot that hasn't alleged treasures so we thought we'd have a little look at this because it's a fascinating little side avenue we traverse occasionally now one of the ones that caught my eye and being as i did the research for this everybody we go with what i want <laughs> not so, uh, so basically oak island's not going to get a look in not on this particular <laughs> show but i have promised the boys that next week we will have a little look at their little once. Yay. I have promised them that because I did. I was rather selfish on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you picked some good ones, to be fair. I thought so. I thought yeah. so. So, okay. So the first one I want to talk about, or we are going to talk about, should I say, is the Forest Fen treasure. Right. Right now, do you know about this? Yes, I do. I only what thought... only what I've read in the research. I, f I followed this for about as long as it was been going for. It was sort of in the news a lot. Uh, but now it's, uh, well, I won't, I, and I won't spoil the end for anyone that doesn't no. know what, what happened. Oh, you've got to follow the treasure trail, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Forrest Fenn is a guy that was diagnosed in 19, 1988, sorry, with cancer, and he thought he was going to die, right? So he... <laughs> hid a load of treasure um in a place and put it out there um online in the form of a poem he also wrote a book called the thrill of the chase right, right which basically was like an autobiography type thing mm -hmm. and it had this poem in it right now obviously people are like gosh let's find the treasure right treasure hunt mm -hmm. Now, he says his motivation for doing this was basically to put out there, get people out in the open, back into nature, right, into the Rocky Mountains, the beautiful area. It meant a lot to him personally. And, you know, he would get the pleasure of watching this unfold. Well, yeah, I mean, that you know, what's going to get people out into the wilderness better than greed <laughs> and he could just sit back and watch the fools look for it because he knows full well that he was skint and there's nothing out there. Mm -hmm. Thousands of people 
have looked for this treasure. Yeah, there was a lot of taking up the challenge. Lot, a lot of people did, and quite a few, I say quite a few, five, did lose their lives. Yeah. It, I mean, the Rocky Mountains is a bit of um, harsh terrain, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, dear. Now, the poem, which I'm going to read to you, well, I'd, I wouldn't have known where to start with this. I mean, the Rocky Mountains is a huge mountain range, isn't it? Yeah. So the poem goes, As I have gone alone in there and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where and hint of riches new and old. Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down, not far but too far to walk put in below the home of Brown. From there, it's no place for the meek. The end is drawing ever nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer, I already know. I've done it, tired, and now I'm weak. Now in that, apparently there are nine clues. Well, there's, right? another, there's another bit to it. Oh, is there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let me finish the poem then. So hear you <clears throat> all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood... I give you title to the gold. Okay. Right. So that's the poem. Sorry. I didn't see that last bit. <laughs> Clearly. Um, there are nine clues in there. Right. Which led you to points, basically, a treasure trail, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you would follow these, find your way through, and then you'd find this chest, treasure chest at the end. Now, it became a huge story. Media covered it. Loads of people went out. But it has actually been found. Yeah. Okay. Do you know where they found it? He won't say. No, the guy that found it has been quite shrewd as well. I think he's got to say, you've got to wait till the book comes out. <laughs> mm. oh, okay. Well, the thing is, this is this has now got a huge controversy surrounding it. That before and after the chest was found, Forrest Fenn actually was targeted with a lot of legal lawsuits. Okay. Okay. Um, because various hunters claimed that the treasure was rightfully theirs. Right. Okay. So we've got a bit of that going on. Now, one of the lawsuits was filed immediately after Forrest Fenn announced the, the hunt was over because the person who found it at this time, right, it's now been since named, but at the time, when he, as soon as it was released, the finder was kept anonymous, mm-hmm. right? Now, he claimed that the guy who had found it had stolen the information and used it to find the chest. So he'd broken into Forest Fenn's house, basically he found a map or whatever and used that to find the treasure. So there's a lot of litigation and crap surrounding this treasure now. And mm. the poor guy who found it, genuinely found it, if you believe that, we'll get into more of that towards the end of the story, yeah, was like, well, you know, 
I found it. So, ha! <laughs> you just used an initiative. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so, basically, he released his name purely and simply because he knows that his name is going to come out when this goes to court anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So, the person who found it was a 32-year-old Michigan native and medical student. His name is Jack Stoof. Stoof? Stoof? How would you say his surname? Stoof. 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 Okay, so we'll call him Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just to be on the safe side. Avoid the lawsuits, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Now, Jack found out about the Forest Friend Treasure in 2018, and basically, it hooked him. The thrill of the chase hooked him. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is what you tend to find with this sort of thing, isn't it? You, when you yeah. speak to or talk to people that um, are treasure hunters or after something specific, it's something they keep on at. They can't. Oh yeah. They can't not solve the puzzle. Yeah, because oh, yeah, you always want the answers. I would rather be given the answers rather than try and work it out for myself. <laughs> I, I think my brain isn't. I don't know. I don't think it works the right I'm way. I'm like you, Kerry. I can't solve riddles and sort of stuff like that. Even the basic ones, you know. I think, yeah. Well, what the hell are they going on about? Well, we used to do a quiz, and on those quizzes, we used to do different categories. And one of those categories was riddles, weren't they, Paul? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, they were. I couldn't were even. Good. I'm crap at them. I just can't think that. My brain can't think. I think I think too literally. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. But this guy, Jack, was, he got obsessed with Forest Friend Treasures, but he'd always had like a, a kind of interest with that kind of thing. So like there, apparently there was a TV series called Push Nevada. And that was solving a real life mystery that had a million dollar prize. And there was a book by David Blaine called Mysterious Stranger, which was sort of like an autobiography treasure hunt within a book which offered a hundred thousand pounds prize now i had to have a look into that bit side note this is we're going down a different avenue for a moment now david blaine we know who david blaine is right yeah he's a magician yeah. Yeah. he's an illusionist endurance artist now he wrote this autobiography book called mysterious stranger in 2002 right it's about 200 pages long and as I say, it's one of these books where there's lots of clues within it, and if you work it all out, then it's worth £100,000. Now, the winner of that was a lady called Sherry Scants, who was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Okay, and she she solved that in 2004, so it's two years of that book being out. Mm. Now, this is how complicated these things can get. It consisted of 12 sections... And these sections took on a journey through David Blaine's own life, but also his inspiration, right? So why he got his ideas for his stunts from his magic uh, magic tricks from all that sort of thing. And it's really fascinating. It's actually a fascinating book in its own right, okay? But in these pages were clues to find a solitary stone. So he'd planted the stone wherever it was, but you had to solve the clues to find out where the stone was, right? Okay. And then once you got it, then you could claim the prize. Now, in the book, it's incredibly difficult, right? 
because there are visual there are multiple visual ciphers in there um they range for all sorts of weird and wonderful things for like dangling vines decorative swirls fiery dragons lizards all sorts of things there are 15 different types of visual ciphers to solve out of those you get 41 sentences right oh. and then to decipher the sentences right to to get that you had to oh there's things like count the toes on a lizard and you it it wasn't clear what you had to do i i kind of need like you need to count the toes on the lizard it wouldn't say that obviously but then you would work it out and then from there it would lead on to words and then the words would lead you to where it was it was incredibly mm-hmm. complex so it was like little tiny differences in patterns and split images and designs and substitute those then for letters and then it it's coding it's complicated yeah. method of coding effectively okay which guys you kind of have dabbled in before yourselves coding no bletchley park yes we went to well, yeah but i didn't but yeah we had a look at look that around was complicated museum. enough yeah. But all I had to do was read the boards. I didn't have to decode. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I have had a go at decoding a cipher before now, just a basic cipher, um, and I I couldn't do it. It's yeah. too my brain just don't work that way. But that was the David Blaine one, right? And as I say these can get incredibly complicated. Now, effectively, the Forest Fen one isn't doesn't seem to be overly complicated at the end of the day the nine clues are in the poem right mm-hmm. all you've got to do is highlight the the landmarks that he's sort of talking about and go from there yeah well yeah that's basically all you can really do from looking at that yeah but this did stump a lot of people for a long time until jack come along well it stumped me and i've not even read the book yet no i know right <clears throat> yeah. now now Jack does have a background in media to a degree, to a degree. He worked for The Onion. He worked for BuzzFeed, you know, that sort of thing. He also um, has a medical background as well, medical school, but he didn't like medicine. He liked treating patients, but that was about it. Right. But then this treasure chase, you know, treasure hunt caught his eye. And basically what he did was he bought the book, The Thrill of the Chase, and went straight to the primary source. He seems to be quite a insular person. I don't think he has, from reading between the lines, and I could be completely wrong, but from how he dealt with the puzzle, he kind of didn't take any external influence. He just looked at it coldly, just from his own perspective, Mm -hmm. and went to the primary source. Yeah. which was Forrest Fenn himself. So he watched every interview he could find. He read the book. He um, Everything he could absorb I suppose about Forrest I Fenn suppose, he did. Yeah, I suppose he's trying to get into the mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because what he wanted to do, he said, to understand the clues, you have to understand the man who wrote them. Yeah. And what was motivating him at that time. I didn't even tell his friends and family about this. He just got on with it. He just thought it was just like, I suppose it's just like a side research 
project a bit like we do we don't really tell people yeah. about them that often and just get on with it in the background don't we yeah now so. it took him two years to do right and he actually retrieved the chest on the 6th of june in 2020 in wyoming oh right and then he as soon as he retrieved it he got in the car drove down to santa fe to deliver it to back to finn okay okay the news had pretty much got out as soon as he'd found it he basically had found him and finn had sort of said oh everybody don't worry it's we found it now it's been found um and the reason was finn released that quite quickly was because he didn't want anybody else like going out looking for something that's already been found mm-hmm. right because people had died yeah about five deaths as you said yeah people had I already bet, died i bet that fen bloke was really annoyed because he thought he could get a few more years out of book sales <laughs> to be fair i think it still would be a really interesting book to read yeah Fen's quite a colourful character in his own right. Yeah, maybe. In all honesty. Now, unfortunately, because there was a lot of, you know, they didn't disclose everything. Like, they didn't disclose where the chest was found. They didn't disclose, disclose who had found it. They just basically said, it's been found. Yeah. Yeah, there was a bit of a backlash to this. Right. A lot of the treasure hunters were, should we say, cynical? Yeah, right. About the legitimacy of the find. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, they didn't Probably more it. to do with sour grapes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit of that. You know, it's a bit of that. Now, Fenn did release photographs of the chest and himself going through it. That was after Jack had delivered it to him. Um, which for some that was enough. For some people, they were like, "Okay, fine, there's mm. the chest." But other people were like, "Well, who found it? Because that could have been you. You could have just gone and got it." Well, it was his chest. If he wanted to do that, it's up to him, isn't it? Yeah. All right, but no, treasure hunters are a canny lot. They are not happy with that. Quite frankly, they wanted more. They thought, well. You put it out there, there was a prize for people finding it. We spent all this time, effort and money trying to find it. And then either you've told someone where it is and they've gone and got it, or you went and got it yourself. That's not on. Right. See their point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay, so that's fine. His Forest friend takes it on the tin, basically. Remain silent, stayed that way for quite some time. And then, unfortunately, he died. Yeah, so I'll never know. He died on September the 23rd. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Was that last year? Yeah, 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, right. The guy who found it, Jack, put out a post out on a platform called Media, right? And it's basically a self-published essay kind of um, forum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's it's um, it's quite easy to do it anonymously if you wish to. And he wrote, he said, a, re- a remembrance of Forrest Fenn. And basically, he put the finder. He didn't sign his name. He just put the finder. Right. Um, and he put a bio saying the author is the finder and owner 
of the Forest Friend treasure. So he's put this out there, um, you know, to sort of remember Forest Friend and the impact yeah. that Forest had had on his life. Um, and that he was the true owner and finder of the chest. But mm. he did it, that's all he put, he didn't put his name. Yeah. Okay. And basically, he's described Forrest Friend as a friend, <clears throat> even though he'd only known him briefly. It was 3,000 words, this yeah. essay. And he put, I am the person who found Forrest's famed treasure. The moment it happened was not triumphant Hollywood ending, some surely envisaged, envisioned even. It just felt like I had just survived something and was fortunate to come out the other end. So that's interesting to me as well, that when he did find it, he wasn't like ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was relieved. no like, so like a relief, really. That's it. There was no glitter cannons and no. fireworks and stuff like that. He just found a chest in hole. I kind of would expect, like you get in the movies, like where you get like the string, you know, the suspense with the string orchestra, <laughs> and then that da 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 kind of moment. It yeah, might... and the Nazis chasing you. And yeah, yeah, why the, not? <laughs> yeah, the big ball coming down as you picked up the chest. <laughs> as you do, but yeah. no, none of that. It's almost like he just felt relieved. And a big choir coming out of the ground, uh, yeah. not choir, oh, um, an oh, orchestra oh, going, da, 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they, none no, of that. none of that. No, no. Just felt relieved about it all. And that's interesting <laughs> to me. Now, in the essay, he does reveal a great deal about the circumstances on how he found the treasure. But he didn't divulge the exact location and no. said he doesn't plan to either. And he didn't, he was really careful about his identity as well. He he kept that very um, close to his chest too. He indicated that he was a millennial and had student loans to pay off. Other than that, that's all they could glean from that essay. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Did he actually manage to do that? Well, because of the court case, he's come out now. Oh, and okay. it's all to do with that court case. Right, now he explained that in 2018 he'd figured out the location, right, where Forrest Ray wanted to die. Then spent a combined 25 days over the next two years searching that general area until he finally located the treasure. Now this is all we this is all we've got really to work out where the treasure was found originally. Yeah. Now, he said that he'd listened very, very carefully to what Fenn had said in interviews, read the book and the poem, put the crumbs together effectively, follow the breadcrumbs, yep. yeah, and and that's how he did it. But like you said, Paul, he got into the mindset. Yeah. So he got into the mind of the the treasure owner. He did. Yeah. Now, Fenn was very, very canny throughout his life while this was going on. Multiple media sources had approached him and he'd been very, very, um, yeah, he hadn't been caught out, shall we say, by mm. these reporters and stuff. So there was very few slip-ups in there and what there were, they were very subtle but because he knew the man, he was able to clean these subtle slip-ups, which helped him solve the puzzle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting, that. Yeah. 
Now, some people thought that this essay was fraudulent, that it was yeah. written, actually written by Fenn's grandson, who was Shiloh Old, or by his professional writer pal, Douglas Preston, or even Fenn himself append it. Still not believing that there was a, a real person that found it. Yeah. So that's why Jack comes out of the woodwork and says, no, actually, twas me. I was the solver of the mystery and I'm now the owner of the Forest Fen treasure chest <laughs> because it's going to come out in the court case. Yeah. Now, the court case is actually done by a Chicago real estate attorney. Her name is Barbara Anderson. And she alleges that the unknown finder of the treasure had located it by hacking her texts and emails and stealing her solve. Now, she believed the treasure was in New Mexico. <laughs> Wrong! Wrong, um, yeah. <laughs> now, Jack says he's never met her, doesn't know anything of her, other than this lawsuit. That's the only way he knows this woman. So he's obviously denying the charges. And as the treasure itself was nowhere near New Mexico, there we go. But this hasn't stopped New Mexico New Mexican federal court judge from allowing the suit to proceed. That's more money for them, isn't it? Now this yeah. was against Forrest Fenn originally, but Jack then learned as a result of Fenn's death, the subpoena against Fenn would be transferred to his heir and estate. Right? Which Obviously, the thing in question is the chest. Yeah. Which is now his ownership. So it transfers to him. Right. Which is why he thinks, well, he knows his name will come out eventually. So he's done it of his own violation and put his side of the story out there. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, he said he did expect a kind of backlash because at the end of the day, the person that finds the treasure ends the dream yeah that's right yeah you know and there's a lot of people who had a lot of money invested in finding the treasure you know it, it was a real sensation at the time yeah yeah this is the problem you know what i mean it's like you put all that time and energy and then some single person who didn't tell anybody about it just sort of got on with it and did it yeah finds it and you're like what it, it's gutting and that like paul said greed makes people act in weird ways yeah and it, and it makes it sound that if um all these people that have bought the book and looking for the treasure are they all working together because if they're not then this is going to happen anyway mm. exactly and it's not an it's easy like trek Either. No, because eventually, somewhat, uh, you know, any, any race for an end goal is always going to end up with one person winning it and the rest losing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So but there are just, poor losers out there. Yeah, they're all in America with this lawsuit, involved yeah. with this lawsuit by the sound of it. Uh -huh. mm. This is just the one that's going on at the moment. There have been ones beforehand. Um, Forrest Fenn had stalkers death threats he had all sorts of weird things people breaking into his home trying to find clues mm. to where this treasure was there's some you know that we joke and laugh about the, the film factor 
of this, which always shows like the baddie, doesn't it? Doing the nefarious anything to get the goal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anything to to find the treasure. It's kind of how it plays out in real life, except we don't necessarily go around shooting people. We actually do it with lawsuits and, you know, breakings. Well, there, yeah. there was a there wasn't there, there was a film in uh, an American movie about a race to a, a treasure or something, um, and didn't they say it was under a big W? Oh yeah, that was that thing. I don't with, um, yeah, was it a wild, wild, mad, mad world? Yeah, that's the one. That sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, about the, that sort of similar thing. Mm. There's something about finding treasure that makes people go a little bit batty don't you think oh definitely they seem to lose sense and rationale mm. yeah with it all and um well you don't get out on oak island <laughs> i think they've <laughs> gone completely bonkers on oak island no no oh, i do i think the amount of no, money but, they've spent well yeah okay you got that but it's because you want answers all the time they're finding more stuff more historical stuff on the island and then they want to know more and, and that's why it keeps going on and on and on um but it's only one group of people yeah but the amount that... of money they they've spent are uh, absolutely ridiculous well, i mean yeah, even for it... spent, <clears throat> people went bankrupt trying to yeah, find it but then you had lots of different people looking for it on oak island you don't you have one set group you don't have thousands of groups all on yes, there. Yes, but we'll cover that on another show, Paul. Okay. Don't get it's carried re- away with your own kind. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's relevant to the conversation. <laughs> be prepared. It's going to be probably peppered with Oak Island references throughout this show. <laughs> Till he's got it out of his system. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> um. But I'd say people go bankrupt, don't they? They mm. did for Forest Fen Treasure. The laugh of it is you don't know what it is. No. This is, this is what makes me laugh, right? You think you you only told what it could be that is worth this amount of money or it's this this is what's hidden or this is what allegedly got lost. I've been thinking of um, King John's treasure in the yes. horse. You know what I mean? But until you get it, you could have spent thousands and thousands of pounds and time wasted and probably put your relationships under strain and god knows what else the cost of it not just the monetary cost but the cost of the treasure hunt it without knowing the true value at the end of it is it worth it is what i would always think yeah i mean it's as as the saying goes it's like one man's rubbish is another man's treasure so it could just be a load of tre- uh, crap Exactly. Mm. So how disappointed would you be if you opened the chest and there was nothing, not much in it? A bag of rubbish. <laughs> yeah, some people might go, it wouldn't matter. It wasn't yeah. about the money. It's about the th- like the thrill of the chase, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But I think a lot of other people, it is important to them. It is like, it's almost like free, a free lottery win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out there. Let's find it. Oh, it's quite simple. It's just a poem. Let's work the poem out. We'll go and get the treasure. And then it consumes them. It's that easy. It clearly wasn't because it took a lot of time for people to find it. Well, no, but that's what they think. All we've got to do is crack a code in a yeah. in a poem. Coding and then we go and get the treasure. And mm-hmm. that's, that's as easy as it, 
it sounds a lot easier than it actually is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Even Indiana Jones didn't find it that easy. No, no. But then he had the Germans after him most of the time, didn't he? Well, the Germans did most of the work for him, to be fair. Well, actually, to be fair, in the first first movie, (laughs) um, Indiana Jones is a pointless character. Because the Germans still got the uh, Ark of the Covenant, despite him trying to get it as well. And they still opened it. He done nothing. Well, no, to be fair, to split hairs on that one, he had the medallion, which found the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, the Germans had it as well. They made a mock because of the bloke's hand. It was too short. The staff was too short, wasn't it? So it would have given them the wrong Mm. location. They're digging in the wrong place. Do you not remember the film? Yeah, okay. All right, then. So he helped the Germans a bit. So he actually helped them find the Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) And, yeah. See, so if he basically said at the beginning of the film, I ain't helping them, not interested. Well, I do, I just melt the medallion down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Problem solved, isn't it? Yeah. If she'd lost that medallion, like girls, we lose jewelry all the time. She didn't lose that, did she? No. Anyway, we diverse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear, dear, dear. Right. Anyway, back to to Forest Fan. Right. Um, Where was we? Yes, so it's the thrill of the chase, it's the closure, isn't it, for a lot of people? They can't accept that 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 something they've invested that much time. It's letting go, isn't it? Yeah. It's like any project that you've invested so much time, effort, and money in, and then someone comes along who you don't know. They don't know whether they found it. You want the answer? Yeah. If if Jack had probably come out and gone, "Hey, everybody, I found the chest. This is where I found it. Here's me at the location." With the treasure chest, I'm going to go down to Santa Fe now and meet up with Forrest Fenn. If he kind of done that, would it have had the same reaction? Or is it because he kept it himself and the location anonymous? I think, to be fair, if if he had done that, he would have basically been chased by every treasure hunter trying (laughs) to kill him and all sorts. He had his own reasons for doing it the way he did it. I mean, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, I think you're right there, Rich. Yeah, I think you're right. But he says, he knows, he acknowledges this. He knows that people want to know, for closure for themselves, the location of where the treasure was. Basically, all right, well done, you've got the treasure. But God, I've been trying to solve this puzzle for so long. What was the answer? And he hasn't told them that and won't tell them that. No, he shouldn't, he, because then that way they can solve it themselves. Well, there's nothing to prove that that's the place then, is there, because the treasure's gone. Oh, so if he, if might he found have, it, you wouldn't know, would you? He might no. have left a note saying, ha, 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 ha found ha. it. You lost. Yeah. yeah. But he thinks it's a special place. He doesn't want it to become like a touristy, react, uh, you know, a pilgrimage yeah. site or stuff like that. Um, He doesn't. He just kind of wants it left alone. He thinks it should be held in. It's it shouldn't be desecrated in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was obviously a special place to Forest Fen. He doesn't want to see it destroyed by hundreds of people going to this place and and seeing the site of it. He doesn't want it to become a tourist destination, tourist attraction. 
the place of forest friends treasure see it here kind of moment yeah you can i can see it now i can see a tourist place we'll follow the trail to the the place where it was and we'll tell you the story as we go kind but of then to, to be fair there's nothing stopping him doing that but doing it about a mile away from where he really found it because who's gonna <laughs> if he is the only one that found this location then he's the only one that knows where it is so he might as well just say oh i found it over there instead and let him do all that stuff over there but then some the clever so and so would say that does not fit the clues there's a lot of work. You wouldn't believe the work. There is yeah. actually a website. Yeah. I found a website, the Forest Friend website, uh, which is dedicated to a hub of searchers, you know, whoever you, you anybody could have got involved in this, mm. right, to try and solve the puzzle. Yeah. They were collaborating. And there was groups. Oh, my God. It was like, oh, you know, what could this be? What could that be? Honestly, the work that's gone into this is crazy. Mm. So he thinks that he does... Jack, this is, acknowledges that there's a balance to be had, keeping the place safe, safe and sacred mm-hmm. and satisfying the curiosity of the searchers, basically. Yeah. You know, there, there is a balance. Um, but ultimately, he says he wants, he's going to do what Fenn wanted, what Forrest Fenn wanted, and he's not going to, he's not going to change that. No, that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And Forrest Fenn did not want it turned into a tourist attraction no people should respect his decision then exactly and that's why he won't ever tell the location of where he found it i don't want to know okay so that that's sorted isn't it yeah that's done paul doesn't yeah. want to know everybody so that's yeah. fine <laughs> move on let's move on yeah <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> i'm not going to ask him <laughs> he does say that the reason it took two years to retrieve the treasure, even though he'd worked out the general area, was that the blaze that was referenced in the poem um, was Fenn's final clue, right? Okay. And that blaze was to let people know that they were in the exact right spot. Okay. Right, but okay. that had actually been damaged. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, so he doesn't mind being open about that, but that's why it took him so long to fi- locate the final wind bit because yeah. that part of the clue in nature had changed. Been yeah. Done. I I can remember when all this was going on and it hadn't been found and they interviewed Forrest Fenn and he said he had actually been back to the location and uh, people were close. You know, mm. it, 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 and he could see where it'd been disturbed and stuff, but not mm. quite. Yeah, you know, so there was a few people on on the right track. Yeah. Oh yeah, it just takes I don't know the right person in the right place at the right time. Yeah, we don't we don't really know whether it was actually buried, left in the back of a a cave or what. You know, so. No, no, we don't. We don't know anything at all, really. But Jack says all he did was focus on Fenn himself, his words, the primary source, and trying to understand that the best he could. And that's how he did it. He says he doesn't want to ruin it for people by saying it was easy, as it were, because it wasn't. 
Yeah. This was not easy. Yeah, it made people look, feel really thick and stupid. It's just yeah. having the correct interpretation. And because he understood yeah. Fenn so well, that's how. And also, I think if you've studied some person, even if you've never met them, and you've watched all the interviews, you've read everything they've written, you've, you know, you've really delved into that person's life, mm. you kind of know them without knowing them. Yeah. Mm. So you feel a closeness to that person. So I can imagine when he finally met Forrest Fenn, although Jack himself was a stranger to Fenn, he probably felt a real affinity with the man because he knew him so well. I bet he was starstruck. Oh, my God, it's you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, he was asked, was there any GPS coordinates? Was there codes? Was there ciphers? Was there anything like that in the poem? And uh, Jack says no. No, it was designed to be fun. Okay. Other than that, that's all it was. It was designed to be fun. It was not overly cleverly done. It was just seeing the right clues in the right places yeah. and mm-hmm. follow them. And he was just lucky enough to do that. And but part of how he did that was getting into the mindset of Forrest Fenn himself. Yeah. And he understood Fenn's emotions i suppose and his mindset at the time don't forget he'd just been diagnosed with terminal cancer yeah yeah so it was going to be a special place to fend specifically yeah so anyway so yes that's it that's how it was solved wow now, what did he do with it after all of that, um, I hear you ask, all this well, beautiful treasure that he found? I'm hoping he paid off some of his um, student debt with it. Well, that is one of the things he planned on doing with it. He's, but he's not sold it yet. He's not even had it looked at by professionals to, to uh, work out how much it's worth. But he does expect it to repay his student loans for medical school yeah and he thinks he's going to leave the profession himself and might move into equities investing okay so it's well spent then you know his youth Mm -hmm. what he's going to do is try to he hasn't quite decided if he's going to leave it as a whole and put it somewhere so everybody can see it, like I would assume a museum or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Or whether he's going to sell it off individually because he said because so many people invested in it, they might want a piece of it. So yeah. he's not sure if he's going to split it or leave it whole. Um, he is, I suppose it's one thing at a time, but I suppose he's got to get through the court case first. He's probably not allowed to until that's resolved. No, that's what I would have thought. Yeah. To be fair, in all honesty, but what you you know, if he is allowed to keep it and everything, um, you know, he could pay off his student loan with it, mm-hmm. and then he could write his own book and go and rebury it somewhere else. Go, yeah, off you go, buy my book. He may well do that. Who knows? Yeah. and I don't think Forrest Fenn will be the first to do this. This is now an inspiration out there, isn't it, for people? Isn't I suppose. It? Yeah, you know. I mean, Forrest well, obviously had the funds and the, the know-how on how to do this, yeah. you know, to put a treasure chest out there. Well, it's not the, well, it's not the first time uh, books have been published with sort of directions to treasure. 
there was a famous one in England, wasn't there? Uh, something to do with a golden rabbit. Oh, what was it called? It had a it had a funny name like Carousel or something, and that was very big in the nineteen eighties. That came was out. It? Yeah. Oh dear, I'm not. I didn't come across that one. Oh, right. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, and it 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 just pointed towards uh, a golden rabbit that had been buried somewhere. Oh, it weren't one of them lint bunnies, was it? Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> that's a gold bunny. Get them every Easter in Sainsbury's. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, so that's what happened to the Forest Friend Treasure. Yeah. Interesting, eh? Just a quick shout-out to Daniel Barbarisa from Outside, who um, I got a lot of that information from. So okay. well done, Daniel. Well, you did a lot of chasing yeah, up you of done Jack. Uh, thank you for providing that. That's lovely of you. Now we're going to take a little rest from the Rocky Mountains. Okay. And we're going to have a little quick break. Okay. Have a little That's drink. I'm already. Have a sandwich. Okay. Yeah. Before we go on our next little treasure hunt. Ooh. Good stuff. We'll be right back after this. Hello, Harry Price here. If there's nothing me and my friends enjoy more here on the other side, it is to sit back and relax and listen to the Paranormal Concept Show right here on the PAUK Radio Network. Broadcasting a plethora of interesting and informative content for all your paranormal needs. Find them across social media to keep up to date with forthcoming shows and all their other adventures. Hello, is there anybody there? And welcome back to the Paranormal Concept Show, exclusive to the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Now, this week we are on the Trail of Treasure. And in the first half of the show, you heard all about the Forest Friend Treasure. Now, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about another little treasure hunt, treasure chest, allegedly, or whatever the treasure will be, which leads us all the way to southern France, doesn't it, boys? Oh, it may we? Yeah, L-O-L-O country. That's right. Expect yeah. lots of bad accents and L-O-L-O <laughs> references throughout this show, everybody. <laughs> Second half of the show. Bad, and bad pronunciation from Kerry. <laughs> and very bad pronunciations from moi. <laughs> I remember doing this before. Yeah. <laughs> now... This is all about the mystery of René Le Chateau. And I have no idea if I've said that first word right in the first place. Could be René's. René's, René's Le Chateau. René's, René's yeah. Le Chateau. Yeah. Right. Now, this is a small hilltop village in southern France and is literally a hotbed, hotbed, I tell you, of conspiracy theory. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, Gotta yeah. love a conspiracy theory. Now, this yeah. one does involve all the weird and wonderful that you could possibly want. Absolutely. Even aliens. Even aliens. <laughs> now, the priest Beringer Sonnier. Remember? Yeah. Recognize the name? I do. Lovely fella. Sonnier? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where do you recognize it from? Um, I, I know him. I know. I met him in the pub the other night. 
No, you didn't. Did? No, he can't, you didn't. He can't. He's got a really bad drink problem. He keeps spilling it. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Ter- no, that was the inspiration for Dan Brown for the Da Vinci Code, Sonia. Okay. Oh, right. So who's Sonia in the, in, in the Da Vinci Code? Is he He's that- the artist guy who mm. gets killed and in, he was the head of the... Illuminati, isn't it? Yes, thank you, Paul. Yeah, Yeah, who hid the uh, cup of the. Oh, right, I see, yeah. Yeah, who hid the grail. That's right, who who hid the grail. And when he died, he had all them symbols. He was laid out as the um, the man from De De Niro. God. I'm going to say DiCaprio next. <laughs> da Vinci. That's da where Vinci. I'm going. That's try, try Da Vinci, dear. Yeah, yeah Da yeah. Vinci. My brain went round in circles on that one. I knew it was duh something. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's late. I've been working really hard, all I'm saying. Anyway. Where was it? Yes. The Renez Le Chateau. Right. Now, it's a very beautiful area. Well, it was a very beautiful area. <laughs> so I dug up a lot. Right. Now, basically, the history of this is um, it's a European village. It began with a prehistoric encampment, then was a Roman villa. And then basically William of Orange, William Short Nose, basically, because part of his nose was cut off by a Saracen. Side note there. Um, basically, there's a thing that goes on here. Right. So William was confirmed at Charlemagne, right? Right. But keeps arguing with the Moors. They became poor against the Christians that had penetrated France as far Mm -hmm. as Lebon. And basically, William's famous win was defeating the Arab forces around Orange, right? Hence, William of Orange. Yeah, right. Okay. Now, he's got lots of other titles. um, And... He founded a Benedictine abbey in Le Guilhem Le Desert, which is where a relic of the Holy Cross is supposed to have been housed. Right? Is that an orange dessert? What? Is that an orange dessert? No, it's a place. Okay. It's an abbey, actually, a Benedictine abbey. Okay. Now, William withdrew from public and civil life and entered the monastery he founded. Now, it was, now this is the weird bit. At this time, he was alleged to have been initiated into the Kabbalah. Okay. Okay, these are things right? that are coming back, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, into the Kabbalah. Now, this is inside a Benedictine <laughs> Abbey. Stranger and stranger. Mm-hmm. Right? He was actually named a saint twice by Pope Alexander II in 1066. And Saint... Gollum Le Desert became an important place of pilgrimage, William obviously being the focal point. Yeah. Okay. Now, he is noted in some famous works of the time, and in these, in these works, it points out that the Grail, the Holy Grail, was to be found in the Pyrenees, in the area that was owned by William. Okay. It is also suggested that the Church of Saint Mary Magdalena in Rene's du Chateau, which was built in William, 
and very similar in architectural detail as the Benedictine Abbey. Yeah. Yeah. Has links to the Grail too. Okay. Right now, it's important to know about William of Orange and that brief, and that's very brief, everybody, historical reference because it shows that there are legends surrounding the chateau to do with this. It shows that there are legends to do with the Holy Grail, the Holy Bloodline, and Jewish links that they were already there in that area because of William. Okay, now if we hadn't have had those links, I don't think half of this would have happened. We would have had a different focus on the story. But because of all that, and the legends and folklore that surround William of Orange in this way, and the links he's got to these areas, I think that's why it's been linked to the Abbey so much. Oh, right. Okay. Now, it's very famous from around the 1950s. This is where this story starts, shall we say. Okay. Now, this is to do with the Roman Catholic priest, Beringer Saunier, Francois Beringer Saunier. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now, the stories we hear, there's lots of different theories. Right? Lots and lots of different. Well, there would be. Lots. This is not a simple story, everybody. It involves Blanche of Castile. The Merovingians. Merovingians, that's right, yeah. Aren't they Italians? Uh, no, uh, they're, a, they're a royal house, aren't they, the Merovingians? No idea. Yeah, they're one of the first royal houses of France. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Knights Templar. Yay. The Cathars. Cathars, yeah. Yeah, which we know have always had links to... The Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The Priory of Sion. Mm -hmm. The Remains of Jesus Christ. The yeah. Holy Grail, Mary Magdalena. All of these theories and conspiracies involve the Renée's Le Chateau. Yeah, it's, it's got quite a bit, isn't it? <laughs> There's a, a lot. Small, a huge such a small place, yeah. yeah. A huge amount. Now, basically, it all starts with Beringer Saunier. He was a priest from a small village, right, from the late 19th to the early 20th century. He was born and bred in the area, and he was the eldest of seven. Now, generally, the eldest son was always destined to a life in the clergy. Now, in 1870, he entered the Grand Seminar in the city of Nubourne, and he was ordained as a priest in 1879, Okay. Yep. He served as a curate in Allais Le Ball for three years. Mm -hmm. And yep. then he was given the parish of Le Clat in 1882. Now, this is in the land of the De Negro Diablos family. Yep. Okay, this is relevant. Within two months, he was asked by his old professor to become a teacher in the seminary at Nabon. Now, Saunier is not a nice guy. He's very headstrong, very insolent, quite arrogant. Okay. And then on June the 1st, he was assigned to a parish of Renée's Le Chateau with a congregation of only 300 par parishioners. Basically, they'd exiled him. Yeah, they'd had enough of him. They'd had enough of him. He had been basically exiled to this small little parish. He was only 33. 
Yeah. Okay. So he didn't go down well at the set. No. Scenery. Okay, people didn't like him very much, and that's why he ended up there. He was only there for a little while, though, wasn't he? Well, he was there for three months, and then okay. he made an anti-republic speech on the eve of the 1885 French elections, basically urging his parishioners to vote for the Union of Right. This reversed the anti-clerical legislations of the government and the restoration of the French monarchy. Okay. This led to an inquiry and the suspension of four priests, including Saunier himself. Now, his punishment was actually to re- return to the seminary in La Bonne. But he was gutted. Oh, I bet he was like, I bet, to, I, I bet they were pleased to see him back, eh? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I think it was a question of send him, we'll exile him, he's a horrible person, get rid of him, we'll send him to a small parish. Oh, God, crap, he's making a lot of fuss out there. Get him back in. Right? Yeah. But his parish wasn't happy, and they put pressure on for his return. So they obviously liked him in the village. Yeah. So he was reinstated in the July of 1886. Cool. This is not a rich parish. This is a very poor parish. The church is ruins, basically. It, it's just not a very well-kept church because the his parishioners are so poor, right? So I bet he was well happy to go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the stipend he got from the state was not paid to him because, obviously, his political and revolutionary stance. Mm. However, he did have a 1,000 francs that was donated by the Comtesse of Chambord, which is the widow of Henry V, for the restoration of the church. Okay. Well, that's nice of them. Yeah, very nice of her. Yeah. The church itself, the Church of St. Mary Magdalene, had been destroyed and rebuilt several times. Now, why it was dedicated to Mary in 1646 is not known why they did that. Right. Okay. It was completely restored by the Bishop of Alette, and it is from that point onwards that noblemen from the area were actually buried within its crypt. So this little church in this little poor village, the church itself has actually got quite a standing, shall we say. Yeah. Got a lot of noblemen buried in these areas. It's got quite a lot of, you know, rich, high-ranking aristocracy families that are interested in this church or donated to this church. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it the church... It doesn't really add up already. Yeah, there's something going on there, isn't there? Why would be the question? Mm. Well, because all the knobs are on there. Mm. Well, the renovations took place and Saunier started with the roof and the windows, right? Logical yeah. places to start, everybody. Get the building watertight at least exactly right now it was during these renovations that Saunier allegedly found some parchments that led him to find some treasure right now this was between July 1887 and 1890 now Antoine Captier the bell ringer noticed a small glass vial sticking out of the wooden balustrade of the old pulpit he gave this to Saunier 
Now, this was supposed to have contained either a parchment or a secret leading to parchments that led to Saunier finding a treasure. Right. Now, this is quite interesting. Because even the, the descendants of Cartier think this is what happened. Okay. Nothing was said in the accounts of the church. It's not detailed, this, because um, everything to do with the church has to be written down. Yeah. Yeah, not uh, beyond accounting, this is. So things that happen, you know, um, I don't know, all sorts of weird and wonderful things they put down in the accounts of the church. Um, so he didn't do that. He didn't put anything in the accounts. Suspicious. Yeah. Now, it was soon after this that Saunier restored the stone square in front of the church. He also restored the walls and installed a locked gate. Now, in 1891, Saunier wrote in his journal that he discovered a tomb. Okay. Yep. The next day, a pot was found with some gold inside. Now, workmen in the area, he was told that it was just worthless Lourdes medals and sent the workmen home. And work was suspended on the church until the 14th of October. Right? Okay. Yeah. Saunier then travelled to Carcassonne and consulted four other priests and returned with them on the 6th of October. Right. But we don't know the details of what happened there. Right. Work resumed on the church on the 14th of October with a new crew of workmen. A new crew. Yeah. Okay. So they might have found something and or was getting close to something that he knew about and he's like, on your bike. So the original workman obviously uncovered something important. Yeah. Saunier recognised that dealt with it, and then brought a whole load of new workmen on who knew nothing. Yeah. Now, it was at this point that Sonia started spending increasing amounts of money. And he started digging at night in the graveyard with his housemaid, Marie de Norred. Oh, that's what they called it, digging. Ah. Digging. Yeah. Some of the I holes think, were supposed to be three metres, so we're not I, talking little holes, we're talking big holes. See, I think that word has like been altered over the years and now it's dogging. Mm -hmm. Well, he was Just digging holes. Just a theory. <laughs> <laughs> now, in March of 1895, the authorities investigated his behaviour. Witnesses testified that Saunier offered Marie antique jewellery, suggesting he was pillaging tombs of the lords that were buried there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That sounds, that. yeah, okay, right. Yeah. And around the same time, Sonia took trips for longer periods of time, actively hid his activities from the parish with the help of Marie. He's becoming secretive. Very. Now in eighteen ninety four he installed an iron gate that blocked access to the cemetery, which included the study and library. That gave Saunier complete control over the church, the churchyard and the area. Okay. Right. right. Now there was a fire 
in the village in 1895 and the pump, the water pump, was actually in the grounds and he refused entry to the pump. Right. Right. So his behaviour is becoming really strange, shall we say. Not very priest-like, is it? Not particularly a good thing, is it, right? No. Now, in 1897, the church was finished and inaugurated so the church is all finished, beautiful, got a lovely new church, lovely. Mm-hmm. And in 1898, a year later, Saunier visited Lyon, where the Bishop Billard nominated him for the function of personate, which is, um, uh, what would you say that is, Richard? What's a personate? Uh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Is that uh, an it's award a- of some, some sort? Yeah, or it's, I think it's a one-up, isn't it? It's like um, the next level to bishop. Oh, right, yeah. No, I didn't realise it was a uh, it was an ecclesiastical position. I thought it would have... Yeah, well, it could be, i say. Well, the diocese actually refused, as the bishop himself was actually under investigation. Oh, right. <laughs> so Bishop Billard is under investigation himself, right? Now... By then, Saunier pretty much owned the whole hilltop of the René de Chateau, right? But he'd put it in the name of Marie. That's his housekeeper, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm sure Marie wasn't just his housekeeper for him to do that, right? That that was a tax swindle. Mm, Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's not mine, it's hers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've all... We haven't all played that one before. He started building a lavish mansion, Villa Bethania. Right now, in that year, Bishop Billard died suddenly, but he had huge amounts of debts. Okay. Okay. Now, Sonia had trouble paying debts, but continued to build and entertain to great expense. And Marie was baptised La Madonna, the Madonna, and was dressed in the latest parish fashion fashions we he's throwing money around but he's, he's having trouble paying his debts yeah he certainly got uh appears to have a, a source somewhere he's got a source somewhere yeah. but he's also with his link to bishop billard who was in huge amounts of debt as well kind of makes you wonder what's gone on there where is the money coming from yeah now in 1906 saunier commissioned a road to be built from Cusa to the renaines le chateau However, this wasn't finished until six years after his death in 1923, um, when the new bishop visited, was shocked at the sound of living and entertaining of young girls and various complaints that the villagers have made against Saunier and oh, it's all a bit yuck, quite frankly. Right, so the road was built six years after his death, but in between all of this in 1906, Saunier starts being investigated again for the standard of living and entertaining he was doing and the underage <coughs> girls that was uh, found in his presence, should we say. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1909, Sonia was actually given one week's notice to leave and was transferred to the village of Kustuges. He refused to leave. Okay. He set up an altar in the villa and continued to perform mass for the parish. Now, the newly appointed priest of the church beautifully renovated church mm. right didn't have any attendance they were all going to Sonia. okay 
So there's something else going on there. Yeah. Right? Now, this increased the investigation, and basically the following allegations were made against Saunier, and he was taken to trial. He was accused of mass trafficking, refusing to produce sources of his income, continuing to solicit mass against the orders of the bishop. All right, so they're the three charges that were put against him. Yeah, mass trafficking is uh, they would sell masses, you know, to rich people. Yeah, basically. It's not like mass trafficking of people, it's no. mass, taking mass. Mm-hmm. Okay, he failed to appear at his trial twice. So they suspended him for one month and a small fine. Well, he wasn't very happy with that, demanded to be reinstated. The investigation and the trials continued. Saunier failed to provide evidence required, basically ignored it. He ignored trial dates, he um, ignored the directions from the court. Mm -hmm. And then it ended up with him being suspended from the priesthood. He actually appealed to Rome. The suspension was lifted, but he was not reinstated. Okay. Okay. Then in 1917, Saunier was found collapsed, dies five days later. Now, he made his last confession to Abe Rivera of Esperanza. Now, afterwards, Mr. Riveraria, or whatever his name was, was said to have refused to perform the last rites, and he never smiled again. So what Saunier told him... He told him he was his dad. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, there were questions, there's a lot of questions there, and not answered. Okay? Yeah. So how did he spend all this money? He obviously came across large sums of money. How how and where did he get the money? His congregation. Well. Collection plate. When you look at the facts, it begs the question. Right. Saunier lived in poverty. He kept meticulous accountings of his money, which showed that in 1892 he owed a debt of 105 francs and had savings of 80 Point sixty-five francs. Right. Right. From the 1890s on, his papers showed that he spent an alarming total of, now gasp at this one, guys, 660,000 francs. Yeah. That's a huge difference. That is a bit, isn't it? Just a bit, yeah. He could have quite easily paid them off, then, couldn't he? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Quite frankly, he could have. Now, as a priest, his salary was 900 francs a year. Now, around 1880, the going rate for a single mass was one franc. So how did he earn that much money on doing mass trafficking? Yeah. Maybe done mass, mass trafficking. He might have done mass, <laughs> mass trafficking. Who knows? Or he was taking the money and not doing them. But again, you still have to go some to get that sort of, uh, yeah, no, there's no way you could have done it mm-hmm. through uh, mass or selling indulgences or whatever it is mm-hmm. they used to do. He, w- he would have had to do about 800 masses a day. Mm, that's an awful lot, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Right, so they're saying that even if he was guilty of that, he could not have collected enough nah. to that practice to... To equate no, the no sums way. to what he spent over his lifetime. Mm. 
Now, as his life was coming to an end, Sonia was actually having financial difficulties. Now, it has been noted that this time in his life corresponded with the start of World War One, which might indicate that his funds were held abroad and he couldn't access them. Because mm. he did a lot of travelling. Yeah. Right. So anyway, this, this has led all of this, this little story about Saunier, his income, his digging, his lifestyle, the things he did, have led to a lot of conspiracy theories. Now, some say he came across buried treasure. Others accuse him just of digging graves and stealing from the dead. Bearing in mind, we know that there were a lot of noblemen buried in the grounds, in the cemetery, there, or they were. Yeah, I think they're still there. But yeah. people think that he was, like, nicking the, the jewels and stuff from the dead. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a strong contender, isn't it, really, though? Well, con- considering we know who's in the graveyard, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, you, there's only... I very much doubt you can get that sort of money just from pillaging the dead. I mean, I know they were buried with their valuables, but, you know, it would have been... It wouldn't have been enough to mm. hold that. No. Sonia claimed that the money had been gifted to him. Well, I heard. Now, well, he didn't say. He just said it had been gifted to him. Now, Marie, Denarnud, whatever her name is, the housekeeper, remember, who helped him with the digging. Yeah. Yeah. Claimed to know a secret that would make one extremely wealthy, as she put it. Now, when Noel Kobu purchased the Sony estate from her, she told him that she would tell him the secret that would make him rich and powerful. Yeah. However, just before she died, she actually had a fit that left her unable to write or speak. So she didn't actually divulge the secret. Okay. Okay. Now, in the 1950s, Corbu began circling stories that Saunier was in possession of parchments, which he found whilst renovating his church in 1892, that these were linked to the treasure of Blanche de Castile, supposedly amounting to 28, oh gosh, what is this, 28,500,000 gold pieces? Yeah, they do. Now, that was the treasure of the French crown that was assembled by Blanche de Castile, who was wife of Louis VIII, to pay the ransom of her son, Louis IV. Uh, one X? One X is nine. Nine? Louis Ninth, Saint Louis, yeah. mm-hmm. who was actually captured during a crusade. And the surplus of that was said to have been hidden at the Rensselaer Chateau. Now, in the 60s, the 1960s, the stories basically took on a life of their own, right? Yeah. Again, treasure. <laughs> now, the account of Saunier reached the ears of a guy called Pierre Plantard. Now, he is a French draftsman who is famous for claiming to be a direct Merovingian descendant. Okay? Yes. And also for being the principal perpetrator of the Priory of Sirens story. Yeah. Now, Plantard adopted, or sorry, adapted rather, 
Kobu's story and basically intertwined it with a mythical account of the Priory of Sion, right, which inspired the 1967 book Le Ordains by author Gerard de Sade. Right. Now, the book had photographs that allegedly showed the parchments discovered by Saunier. Right? Oh, this okay. is all igniting now, isn't it? We're all, we're all getting a bit mucky now, isn't it? Yeah. But a friend of Le Plantard admitted to forging the parchments, and both Plantard and his friend were involved in planting fabricated documents in France's Bibliothèque Nationale that dealt with the secret history of the Priory of Sion. Okay. Oh, right. Right. A decade later, the story of Saunier becomes even more mixed up and overlaid with conspiracies relating to Jesus' bloodline. Yes. Best-selling book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Yeah, that's Henry Lincoln. That's one of Henry Lincoln's co- um, uh, collaborations. I've actually read it. It's a good book, actually. Mm-hmm. It yeah. came out in about 1980. Well, this book claims that Saunier discovered proof that Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalena were married and that their descendants became the Merovingian dynasty. Mm-hmm. And some of the book, book's hypotheses is the possibility that this was the secret of the Priory of Sion. Yes, and uh, it's often wondered whether the priest was actually blackmailing the Catholic Church with this knowledge. Correct. Which he obtained, presumably, through these parchments. Mm-hmm. We will never, never know. No. We will never, never know. But the problem we have is the bare bones of the fact are we know certain things are fact. We know his history because it's that's documented. We know certain things like he was digging, that he spent huge amounts of money that he didn't have, that he didn't actually live in great wealth himself. You know, he died relatively poorly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did spend crap loads of money. We know that there was a secret of some form. What form that secret took, we don't know. It could easily have been he was robbing graves. Yeah. It could have been a mixture of several things, blackmail. It could have been digging graves, stealing the things. It could be parchments he found. It could be he was being paid off by the Vatican to keep his mouth shut. Well, who knows, right? We don't know. No. But then when people overlay that, we've talked about overlaying history, historical fact with fiction before now, and you get hypotheses like um, the book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and you get people faking things and putting them out there. It it just muddles the muddies the waters, doesn't it? Well, it does. Yeah. I mean, you've only got to see the popularity of things like this. When Da Vinci, uh, the Da Vinci Code was released, the book, the novel, it's a historical novel, but it's actually a fictional work overlaying a lot of historical fact. 
he ties yeah. things together and they're not necessarily tied together realistically thank you that's the word i was searching for yeah yeah but the whole industry has now sprung up you can go on the walks around rome the da vinci code walks you can go to yeah. you, you can follow the, the the trail that um langdon took you know i mean there's so much you can do you can't now separate the fiction from fact it's becoming very difficult to do so we know certain amounts but there's a lot we still don't know and we can't prove so they filled in the gaps yeah as people often do mm-hmm. mm. i don't know was he just a dishonest priest was he mass trafficking did he find buried treasure where did he keep his money was it abroad and hidden you could even look at a possibility that someone actually knew what was going on and created some of these conspiracy theories to muddy the waters to hide their own tracks if that makes sense i do think it's karmic in a funny kind of way that the secret died with the housekeeper yeah she will divulge her the secret before she dies and then she has a stroke which leaves her unable to to speak or to write so she can't divulge it yeah i think that's like that's just murphy you know like sod's law they call (laughs) it murphy's law don't they that's just typical isn't it it is isn't it yeah but it still leaves a big mystery out there and that it was their treasure who knows maybe he did find some treasure what do we make of that one my beautiful boys Wow. Interesting, yeah. It, it could I've... have some something to do with the the treasure of the Knights Templar. Maybe they left stuff there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's got touched to everything, isn't it? You know, but I think the water's been muddy so far. You'll never know. I mean, uh, you've. I mean, that's a lot of money he got. If and if um if those accounts are true. I mean, that is a lot of money, you know, and uh, what organisation could could there have been for him to obtain that money? And the only and the only organisation possibly big enough would be the church itself. Well, the Knights Templar. Well, no, the, the Roman Catholic, Catholic Church. Uh, and the Roman Catholic Church, I yeah. mean. But... Whether they would buckle to, uh, surely they'd have other ways if somebody was blackmailing them to deal with it. Yeah. But like I say, if it hadn't have been William of Orange, initially, the route, like, I think that's where it's the the links to the Grail, the Holy Grail and, and that side of things. I think that's where that comes from because of the history. Yeah. of that church and why that church is built the way it's built and you know um the theory behind that why did william of orange initiate into the kabbalah yeah when he was roman catholic that's right that in itself is interesting to me you know we haven't got an answer for that there's a lot of things that 
within that whole story that there's a lot of questions to. And because you've got the history and then you've got this unsavoury priest in the midst of it, it just is a perfect film. I think I'm surprised it hasn't been made before now. Um, that incorporates all of these different stories, I suppose. You know, I just think it's brilliant. I mean, his relationship with the Bishop Billard, who was like really in debt himself. I mean, had did they have something? You know, like where you can um, take a loan out against something. So you use something as collateral. Yeah. Maybe he found something that he was using as collateral as to why they got their money. And maybe Bishop Billard did the same. Yeah. Ooh. Which is why Bishop Billard was in so much debt and so was Sonia. Yeah. You know, really, this is how they spent or got so much money. Maybe they used whatever they found as collateral. I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out there. Whether it's linked to the Holy Grail, um, the, the bloodline of Christ, whether or not, I don't know. Haven't got a clue. But... This is why, again, it, it's, that's an unsolved one, guys out there. You want to go on a treasure hunt and start digging through documentation because that's where you'll find your answers. Yeah. yeah. It's actually very rarely the, the going out on the ground and f- to find the treasure is like the end bit of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's the end goal, isn't it? The f- initial stages, it's all in documents. Yeah. And the, so the real treasure hunt is document hunting. Indeed. Ooh, exciting stuff. <laughs> exciting, exciting stuff. Well, that's my one of my little favourites, the Rensselaer Chateau. Yeah, that is a good story. And, uh, you know, there's plenty to work around there. Uh, we've just given a brief overview in the show tonight. Go over. There is a website, the Rensselaer Chateau website which gives you a lot more uh, background to the story than we've we've skirted the issue, um, but it's a lot more convoluted and in-depth than we've covered it in tonight's show. I hugely mm. recommend you go over to the website. And the Chateau's Lorenz is also a blog that we've done in one of our books, but you have to buy one book to follow the clues to find out which book it actually is. Or just look at the chapter titles. Well, yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not very treasure hunter, is it? Just no, that's book, Sorry, I clues. just like ruined that one for you, babe. Yeah, yeah. Because so you know, if you buy one book and it ain't in there, then obviously it's in the other book. You just this is got true. Clue. This yeah. is true. Really, really interesting um, story, that one. I, I always enjoy reading about that. But so there's a lot more information out there than we've covered in the brief bones of it tonight. But William of Orange ties into it. Knights Templar tie into it. Now, Knights Templar, the history of Knights Templar, they started off. Um, what do you think of when you think of Knights Templar? You think of, um, you know, what do you think? Warrior monks. On, yeah. That's on a crusade in the Holy Land. Yeah. But what were they, Paul? They they were protectors of the pilgrims on pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. So basically they would, um, if like there was a group of monks or whatever wanting to go on a pilgrimage, they would escort them mm-hmm. so that they weren't, be, they wouldn't be attacked. And what else did they do? Um, they were also um, literally the world's first bank. Correct. Yeah. 
They yeah. used to look after people's belongings, like lots of money and stuff like that, and yeah. um, keep it safe for them. While well, they used to go on these pilgrimage, pilgrimage yeah. right. pilgrimages. So you know they and they were cast as like the first kind of banking system. Mm-hmm. Leave your money and treasures with us, and we will look after it for when you return. Yep. And how many people didn't return? So they kept it. <laughs> Absolutely. And when they were dissolved by the French king, whoever mm-hmm. it was, um, they were supposed to give it all up to um, the hospitalers, this John hospitalers. And they didn't. No, they run off of it instead to Oak Island. <laughs> 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 and on that bombshell. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Got one in there right at the end. Yeah. Did really well through the whole show. I thought we were going to get away with that. I thought we were too. Bless him. No chance. <laughs> anyway, on next week's show, join us for the second part of this one, where we delve into a few more treasure hunts and see what we can come up with. Hope you've enjoyed tonight's show. If you want to get in contact with us or give us any feedback whatsoever, then contact us through our website which is paranormalconcept.com or go over on the socials paranormal concept we're all on the socials on twitter instagram and facebook yeah what she said yeah we enjoy that one boys we did yes very good on that note say good night guys good night guys good night guys